teams sit right on the baseline. The big fella from New Zealand. When we cut him off baseline, he started walking in there. Welcome on to the Baseline Podcast. Uh, we have another, another great guest today. Uh, we have Mark Schindler, um, co-creator of, of Premium Hoops and uh, podcast host of Indie Cornrows. We're going to be doing an Indiana Pacers breakdown. How are you going today, my man? I'm doing pretty well. I, uh, I appreciate you reaching out and having me on. I know we've crossed paths a few times. This is our first time ever talking, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's been a, a little bit since I've really thought too much about Indiana. Like I've thought a lot about you know their future with the draft because they have a lottery pick this year for the first time in six years since they drafted Miles Turner. Um, so you know, obviously, you know, given how this year is going, we're going to dive into it. I'm sure. Uh, very uh it's going to be a very different year next year at least hopefully you know from a fan perspective yeah yeah agreed man yeah it was good to good to connect and get you on and um there are in new zealand there's lots of indiana pacers fans from the glory days <laughs> for like you know mm-hmm. the reggie villas and the people that got into it in the 90s you know when i was like a young fella so uh, i know that that they'll be hyped to to you know their team to get some love like i got my Minnesota Timberwolves um, pod with Jack Borman a couple of weeks ago was like one of my most downloaded pods because people were like, sweet, you know, we don't, we don't have to listen to people talking about LeBron and the Lakers because in places like New Zealand, like, that's a lot of the analysis that they get. So, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and we're going to rip right in here. Um, the Pacers are a team that I feel like in terms of small markets that they actually have, they actually have a ton of talent. Like, like they've they've built their team to be, you know, one of the more consistent teams, you know, winning 40 games most years. Um, but probably last year, I, I think, and we'll, we'll put the co- some of the coaching chemistry issues aside. I think last year probably saw from my point of view, and I didn't watch a lot of the team, but that there were probably some fit issues there in terms of the personnel, which maybe has stopped the team going to the next level. We've sort of seen first round and out, and you know, really great defenses, but the offense hasn't really come along. What do you think of the overall, before we jump into the individual players, what do you think of the overall fit in terms of the talent that's there um, and your overall prognosis on where the team is at? Yeah, um, so I think we're mostly in agreement. Uh, the team as a whole, uh, there's a lot of talent there, and I think a lot more than people will give it credit for uh, on the outside. But Granted, number one, health is a big problem for them. Obviously, TJ Warren was missing almost all of last year. Um, Demonis Sabonis missed time. Miles Turner missed a bunch of time. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon missed a little bit. Obviously, Karis LeVert came over and, and missed a month and a half of basketball due to cancer, which is scary, but yeah. um, luckily he's okay now. Um, but the problem right now with the Pacers roster, and we, it was really exposed because of TJ Warren's injury last year, was just the lack of lineup versatility. Um, so there's a lot of talent. I, I don't. I think it's less of a fit issue and just more of a. Um, I guess. I mean, it is in some ways fit, but also last year was just really difficult when you miss that guy who is going to be the linchpin in a lot of lineups. Like, um, you know, they were ended, they ended up having Justin Holiday was guarding fours pretty often, um, or Doug McDermott would be stuck with guarding a four. Sometimes you have Edmund Sumner guarding a four, um, and that just did not work in a lot of matchups. Uh, and it, it wasn't particularly effective offensively in some regards too. Yeah. Um, it was really hard to, to play, especially in the games when, you know, if Miles was out um, or Domas missed the game, uh, 
that really threw off things. Um, so there is a lot of talent on the team, but yeah, fit is definitely a uh, an issue and something that I hope to be solved more in uh, in free agency and, and and with the draft and hope you know I'm assuming there will be some trades coming up. Yeah. Um, but that's just my own thought on it. I'm not sure that that will happen, but it, it sounds nice uh, on the pre- <laughs> preliminary sense. Yeah, I, I get it, man. I get it. Yeah. And so I'm just looking through the stats now. They had the 14th best offense and the 14th best defense. So they were they were consistent in that regard. Um, d- defensively, and, and you're right, actually, and I didn't probably give enough weight to, to some of the, um, the injuries. Like, Miles Turner, in my eyes one of the best defensive centers in the league and prob- probably when the t- when the Pacers had the better defenses the couple of years before I don't think he ever really got the credit because the I just looked up now the previous two years they had the sixth best defense and the fourth best defense so based on uh, this is the I always use cleaning the glass um, per 100 positions so when Turner misses some significant time the team defense is significantly worse like I think that that Turner deserves a a bit more credit for that um and in terms of if we if we were talking trades um i mean the elephant in the room is uh, for me to ask is what do you think of the fit of sabonis and turner like that has to be the biggest question right yeah i mean i think it's not as bad as it gets made out to be sometimes um like i mean they are relatively effective together especially against like if you look at um like the bottom 21 teams is the wrong way to put it but like if you look at Okay, so if you take instead of playing against the top four teams in the East and the top four teams in the West, like if you're playing against average to slightly above average teams, yeah, they're pretty good. I, I want to say they're around plus four, plus five points per one hundred. Um, but they really struggle against uh, the better teams, and I I, I don't want to just attribute that strictly to them. Um, but you do see problems with it, like not just this past year, but the year before. Um, like they would really struggle playing the Celtics because they could go four out uh, at times five out and really force either miles or domas to play out more on the perimeter and it's not that they're getting exposed out there like miles is capable of playing on the perimeter but if you're able to take miles out um and drive to the hoop like that just makes it a lot harder because if you're if like i mean we, we've seen this with the bucks like when they uh when the suns pulled brooke lopez out early on in, in game one uh, because for whatever reason, Milwaukee decided they were going to switch everything. It wasn't on Brook, but like if you pull out the rim protection, uh, that just allows for a lot more to go on at the rim behind him. And and you saw that a lot. I mean, like some of the cross matches that that Miles ends up having to take are are pretty difficult. Yeah. Um, and we saw this past year that like I think a lot of people have attributed Domas as just being a bad defender, and I think overall he has his limitations for sure. But it's all it all comes down to context, like. Yeah. He was being asked to come out and play at the top of a, uh, you know, at the top of a really aggressive uh, ball pressure defense, and it it made, frankly, no sense. Um, yeah. Like he was asked to do way too much defensively in a in a setting that makes very little sense for him. Like, yeah. um, you know, you can look at what he was doing under Nate McMillan, and he was largely more of just the help side guy. Yeah. Um, it wasn't. They did a really good job of keeping him out of pick and roll actions. And if if he was in them, you know, they were playing a little bit closer to the screen and not playing him in drop because that's yes. not how he's impacting the game. Yeah. Um. So that was just a lot of last year was, uh, not as much offensively. Like I think the offense was better than the offensive rating would speak to yes. because that that's more of the injuries. But yeah. the defense in some ways felt way worse than being league average. Like I have no idea how they ended up at league average in some regards. <laughs> Um, that it was some of the most questionable defense I've ever seen. Like, 
Yeah. Um, you know, going over on high ball screens for Ben Simmons. So like, you know, oh, Ben Simmons pulls the ball screen from 30 feet out and you go over the screen on a non-shooter and it just, it's stuff like that that would happen throughout the course of the year that just, That's you know, it didn't really make a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So it's hard to look at this last year and, you know, put too much on the players. Yeah. I mean, I think like you mentioned with miles individually, he had the best defensive season of his career before he got injured. Yeah. If he doesn't get injured, I think he would have been deserving of second team all defense. Um, but he ended up missing, I think, 16 or 17 games to close out the year. Yeah. Um, but also a lot of it was like so many people were like, oh, well, Miles is is just awesome. Like he's he is the defense. And in some regards, that's true. But like they funneled everything to him. And he's probably the second best rim protector in the NBA. Um, if not like, you know, second best set, I would, I would actually say that he's maybe even a better pick and roll defender than, than Gobert. Gobert is just a miles better room protector because of what he can do. Yeah. Um, but like when you're constantly putting somebody in a two on one, he makes it look good because he can routinely neutralize a two on one. But like, I mean, if you're getting put in a two on one situation, 25 or 30 times a game, like yeah. you're bound to give up a lot of easy looks at the rim. So like, yeah. They defended pretty well at the rim, especially with Miles in the game, but they gave up the highest rim frequency in the NBA, if I remember wow. correctly, at least for most of the season. Yeah. Um, so they just like everything about their their defense was like just giving up the easiest looks to teams uh, in a way that was not sustainable. Yeah. And you really saw that, especially when Miles was out, because they did not adjust their defense in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty ugly, frankly. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's amazing analysis, man. And I think that, that that that's the context that sometimes, you know, hardcore fans who really dive in will know, but um, that's the context that's required when you say, hey, look, you know, um, why why are we doing certain things and why does it mean at the highest levels we, we can't beat these other teams? And, th and that's the context that's required when you're breaking down someone like Sabonis, you know? Um, he can't. He, he can't help. It's like Yusuf Nurkic is a great example with the Blazers to use. If you don't have a point of attack defender, um, you know, that's going to help ice the pick and roll out to other help guys or, well, or, 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 you know, you're trying to not just leave Yusuf Nurkic on cleanup duty, um, then because you don't have someone who's, who's able to, to, to navigate those screens and, um, you know, able to shut down defense and transition, then, Guys like Sabonis are like they're the ones that cop all the shit, but really it's about the other personnel. And obviously, yeah, you you talked about those other injuries. Um, if I'm well, break, looking forward and breaking down the roster now, um, how Malcolm Brogdon obviously signed the uh, the big deal, um, you know, two years ago um, to to join the Pacers. It was a so obviously a sign and trade. Um, I'm a massive Brogdon fan, and I love I love his skill set. How how has his time been um, with the Pacers, and do you feel like he's he's truly hit his straps with with this team? Yeah, I mean, I think he's been phenomenal. He's been in some ways better than I thought he would be. Like, I liked him a lot in Milwaukee. I wasn't sure how he was going to scale up. Um, I mean, obviously, he came off a 50-40-90 season. There were injury concerns, and those have popped up a little bit, but the Pacers have a really good training staff, even though, you know, with the injuries they have, I think it's important to remember, like, same thing with context. Um, they bring on a lot of guys who have injury concerns or are injury prone because when you're a smaller market team or, um, you know, their way of putting it normally is they want to find guys who are maybe undervalued and try and, um, really take advantage of that to, to make a better team. Yes. Um, so point being with Malcolm, like, I think you've seen a lot of, 
Uh, I think he's been a little bit stretched sometimes in what he's asked to do, but we really saw for the first time uh, because the minutes that he did get to play with Victor Oladipo last year, um, they were very, or I guess I should say two years ago now, um, like Victor was still coming back. Uh, it was a lot of clunkiness, it, very my turn, your turn, and that definitely carried over into the playoffs. Um, you look at this year, their first 10 games together when Victor, before he got traded, they actually looked pretty good together. A lot of Malcolm leading the charge, you know, was mainly the lead ball handler, but there, the ball movement was really good. Um, and then you saw there was the stretch when after Victor got traded, um, Karras came back, obviously, but he's out for a month and a half due to cancer. Um, and you saw Malcolm get really overtaxed, uh, trying to be the primary facilitator for the team. Yeah. Um, but then when Karras came back in, they really started to mesh and find some pretty good synergy. So Malcolm was initiating a lot of sets and Karras was, you know, to, normally the actions would be designed for him. So like he'll come off an Iverson cut or something after, after Malcolm heads to the rim. Um, and as much as I, I mean, there was a lot with Nate Bjorkman that was not great. Um, the way that he designed the offense, I thought really made sense and was very good um, for getting guys looks that were beneficial to them. And it gave me a lot of uh, kind of just real interest for what, Malcolm and Karras can do next season. Like, I still think it's not an ideal backcourt, but I just don't think that I'm too worried about, like a lot of just fans in general, like I don't consider myself a fan. I just try and analyze the team, but like, yeah. I know like, cause I get asked all the time by fans, like, well, when are they going to get a true point guard? Um, I mean, I think Malcolm is definitely more of a combo guard. Uh, he's got really, I mean, he's one of the best drivers in basketball, but yes. he just struggles a little bit with his passing. Like he can make some advanced threes, but it's not all the time. Karras is probably the better passer of the two, yeah. um, but he doesn't have quite the same ability to get to the rim that, that Malcolm does, or at least he doesn't get there with the same consistency. Yeah. So I think, you know, when you put them together with yeah. Domas, you get enough playmaking at a high-end level. But then again, you know, when one of them is out, that totally changes up how the playmaking looks. Yeah. Um, but point being, Malcolm has been fantastic. I actually think he was probably the the best player on the team last year. Um, Domas was really good, but I mean, again, the defensive stuff does come into play. Uh, and and Malcolm has just been a fantastic player all around. Really grew as a uh, – I, sorry, I know I'm going on. I'm almost done with you no, on this no, one. Uh, it's good. He really grew as an off-the-dribble shooter last year, which was a cool development because he was good for mid-range uh, his first year. Like, he was good pulling up from two. Uh, really developed as a three-point shooter off the dribble last year, which was a huge development for him. It's still not all the way there. Like teams really dared him to do it, and that clogged up the Pacers' offense at sometimes. Yeah. Um, but that came back more as the year went on. Um, so a lot of signs of encouragement for him moving forward yeah. into next year. That, that's awesome, man. And yeah, I love that. That's a part of his game I love is that um, he's a guy you know probably like six five, six six four, six five. You never you never know. So I say six six on one side, but the guy's six three. But you know he's not a he's not a huge. Mm. He's got good positional size. But he's not huge, but he uses he uses his strength, guile. You know, he's got such a great package at the rim. Um, and when you add to that his strong, you know, his strong outside shooting and uh, and also off the dribble, which I didn't realize. Um, you're talking about him raising his level to being a strong starter. Um, and when you add strong starter, you know, um, it, it's not it's not fringe all star yet, but you're you're working your way up those levels. Um, and then obviously add in. Um, I think the fit with Levert is good, um, and we'll, we'll like we'll talk on on Chris Levert now. Um, I I like Levert 
as a player and the idea of him, I feel that when he was just able to do whatever for the Nets, that he was sort of in a situation which maybe his stats made it seem like because he was just the guy, um, especially when there were injuries. So when you talked about the bubble, you know, um, the game that they that the Nets played against the Blazers, it was he just had the ball every single time down the stretch. Everyone else get out of the way. But that was because Dinwiddie was injured. I have a feeling they might have had someone else out as well. So like, I like Levert's game, but I think we haven't truly seen him uh, in a situation where he's been healthy with a healthy team around him to truly evaluate what he's been like since his, he's elevated his game. And and I think that he'll be able he'll be able to do that with the Pacers. How do you how do you see him fitting in? Uh, and if he's fit this year, uh, what what can we expect to see from Levert? Yeah, I mean, I think my host for him next year, um, like down the stretch of the season, he was fantastic. Part of it is uh, like again, you have to take in into in stretch. Like Miles was out, they played with like just an absurd pace, uh, and were out in transition a ton as the year closed down, and frankly. The team just was not bought into playing defense, um, and I think a lot of that was some of the stuff going on in the locker room that resulted in Nate Bjorkring being let go. Um, that tends to leak out on court, and I think we definitely saw that. Um, but Karras, I think to close out the year for like the final 12 games, like him and Domas were both putting up like 25 points per game on above league average through shooting. Awesome. Um, he is – it's really interesting, and it's tough with Karras because – like, like you're mentioning, I don't quite know what to make of him as a player. Like, he is very good. I think there's a lot of detractors for him that are like, you know, he's too um, too shot happy or like he needs the ball too much. And like, yeah, that's kind of the case. Like, he does need the ball, but um, like he's not a good catch and shoot player. I think he shot 31% on catch and shoot threes this year, but shot like 34 or 35% on pull-up threes, which is yeah. really, really darn good, especially considering he took multiple per game. Yeah. Um, you know, when he does get to the rim, he's very good there. Uh, that's one of the things I would like to see him improve on next year is just he's a guy who like there are a lot of guys who I look at like Andrew Wiggins is a prime example of a guy who um, has always struggled with getting to the rim. And a lot of people say it's, oh, he's just lazy and wants to take the jumper. And that's just not true. His handle is not good enough to get to the rim and unlock his athletic tools to really get there. So I've always been frustrated with that. Karras is different because he is more than capable of getting to the rim whenever, but um, he just has this really herky-jerky game, and he really likes, you know, he's just wired to take these pull-ups from uh, from 8 to 16 feet. And he's not bad at them, but yeah. it just it's very streaky. And if it's not going in, it can look really bad. But as we've seen again with this playoffs, like two or three missed or made jumpers can completely change how you view a guy's game. Yes. Um, I'd like to see him get to the free throw line more, get all the way to the rim, because that's when he has his best passes, like – He's a guy who's capable of fully collapsing a defense, but it's more about just, okay, well, can he do it consistently? Because I think there's that aspect to his game that could could unfold, and I, I really want to see that next year yeah. from him. But he had a good year with the Pacers, especially considering, I mean, what he came off of. Like, how many guys have we ever seen get cancer yeah. in the middle of a season, get treatment, miss time, and then come back? Uh, I mean, I was, I was really impressed with him this year, and – um, I try not to be like overly critical and evaluating him throughout the year, but ultimately he's just a really fun player to watch play who has a solid impact on the game. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and I think he can lay a lot of value to the team. The next dude we'll talk about is, is TJ Warren. Um, I think offensively, like probably the reason that um, 
contributes probably his absence contributed a lot of the reasons that the, that the team struggled offensively even if you take the you know maybe some of the, the clunky um offensive sets out of it um a guy that blew up in the in the bubble in the previous year and and i feel as a dude that and and this happens when you have guys that play for bad teams is you you may never really know truly who they are until they get into something until they get into a situation which is a bit more positive or or maybe they're 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 given more free reign like he's a guy that can that can really score uh you know he has he has great size and and being able to score at that size is very there's not very many guys you're talking about six seven six eight six nine who can score like that um how how's his his injury um what's his injury timetable looking like uh, and if he's back this year, what what is his fit in terms of the starting lineup? Yeah, I mean, as far as I'm aware, he's not going to miss any time this year. Um, like, I mean, well, just based on, you know, coming into the year, I, I think he should be good to go. Um, as far as his fit, I mean, I think in some ways he's the most important player on the team, um, which – you know, it's arbitrary whether or not somebody's the most important or the best. Like, I think in some ways this team doesn't really have a best player. Like, they have, uh, like, they're a team that very much so needs everyone together if they're going to win in the playoffs. Yes. Um, which, again, that's part of the reason why they've struggled in the playoffs. And it's not a full excuse. Like, there's been a lot of stuff that gone, that's gone into it. Um, but looking at TJ, like, you can, I think the bubble is, I, I don't want to say it's indicative of who he's going to become because I don't think, you know, expecting him to average 28 points per game is kind of ridiculous. But point being, his his growth in the bubble, and I know this is a year ago that we're talking about, yeah. which is still crazy to think it was a year ago. But uh, point being, with what he was doing in the bubble, like that was a real step and transformation for him. Like he really played the game differently. Um, he went from, I mean, I think he took more pull-up threes in the bubble than he did the entire year before the season ended. Wow. Um, which is like pretty remarkable. Like he went from being a guy who was rarely taking pull-up threes to he was launching threes out of pick and roll, which we just had not really seen much from him the entire year. Um, his vision looked a little bit better. Like he's never been an awesome passer, but also he's always been a play finisher. So he's not really asked to pass as much. Um, that's an aspect that, okay, if he's getting those pick and roll opportunities, if he's taking stuff from behind the arc like that, He's going to be guarded differently, and there are going to be playmaking opportunities for him, and that opens up more for the offense. Um, but point being, like when you look at guys who are six foot eight, six foot nine, who can handle the ball, who can score from all three levels, and are neutral or better on defense, there's like what five or six guys like that in the NBA right now, and yeah. he's one of them, and he's probably the only one that isn't on a max contract. Yeah. So while he is coming off a stress fracture in his foot. Um, which he's had a stress, fra stress, stress fracture in, I think, the opposite foot when he was in Phoenix. Yeah. So that's, of course, a lingering concern. Like, you don't want that to, to happen. Um, but I think some people have been a little bit too down on him. I really thought he was uh, on, a on a trajectory to taking another step last year, potentially towards being like a like a guy just out of all-star range. Yes. Um, and I, I'm I'm hopeful that that's going to be his, his path this year. Like, I know he takes – everything very seriously with with basketball like in terms of you know i think anybody in the nba takes basketball seriously but tj is like a guy who um like his just to give you an idea like yeah. his uh his twitter bio used to just be at a gym near you <laughs> and that's very indicative of who tj warren is like this guy just wants to play basketball and yeah. and do it well like i was saying this to somebody the other day i was like you know if he 
had if he could have his minutes limit removed like he could play the entire game i think he would contemplate playing in a different league because he just like he's that much of a basketball guy so i'm very high on what he could be this next year um but then the biggest thing is is the defense with him like he was the guy in in the 1920 season who took most of the primary defensive assignments so like he would guard luka Doncic, he would guard you know some like i mean even against portland he would guard dame wow um and it wasn't always the best, but point being, like, he was capable of doing it and he was willing to do it. Um, and that's something the team really missed this year, like having a bigger-bodied wing defender who they could throw on to somebody. They just didn't have that this year. Um, yeah. And I think that's something that will really help them shore up the defense again next year. Yeah, agreed, man. Yeah, he like he changes this team by, you know, by, bring, by bringing him back in um, with his level of offensive game. Uh, 100% he changes the offense. Talking about another guy who was injured in this season but did come back, he's a guy. A guy that I like is, is Jeremy Lamb. Um, got paid after, I think, you know, increasing his game from where he was at um, with uh, the Thunder. Like he, he's a guy who has slowly leveled up each year, and um, I think we started to see his shooting come on even after he came back from injury. He's really long. He can do some stuff on defense. He can play make a little bit. Um, he's sort of a, he's like a bit of a glue guy, but I also feel that he had probably pretty bad luck where he was at his peak. You know, got paid, um, and well, maybe not at his peak. He was starting to peak, got paid, and was was you know looking to add shooting range and all that sort of stuff, and and had probably had a bit of bad luck with that injury. Um, what are your thoughts on Lamb and and is he a strong part of the team moving forward? Uh, so I am unsure, uh, what's going to happen with Jeremy. Uh, he was really, I mean, he had a really unfortunate year. It was tough for him. You know, like you mentioned, he had a pretty horrific leg injury, uh, in 1920. Um, and I mean, he came out the gates really hot, uh, shot incredibly well from four. And I still think he had, if I remember correctly, like off the top of my head, I think he had his best shooting season, yeah. uh, in the NBA this year, but he really tailed off after the first 15 to 20 games. And that kind of showed a lot of the issues he was having on the defensive end. Yes. Part of that is it seemed like he just didn't have quite the same level of lateral quickness. And to, I mean, to be completely fair, he's never been a very good defender. Yeah. Um, but the way that they were playing defense last year, I think even if he had been fully healthy, it's not the kind of defense that I think suits Jeremy Lamb. Like mm-hmm. they were asking for a ton of way over aggressive play and Jeremy Lamb already struggles a little bit with being too aggressive on the ball or just missing stuff off the ball. So, you know, taking a guy who maybe his lateral quickness was down. And again, it's hard to, hard to note that, you know, just throughout the year, um, asking him to, to go out and play this really aggressive form of defense was not pretty. Um, like it, it made his, his minutes became a little bit untenable for the team as the year went deeper. Um, and he kind of went down the depth chart as you know, he, part of it is he, he re-aggravated his knee during the year, but also that coincided with him starting to lose time in the lineup and, and go down the depth chart. So I'm not really sure, um, what to think about where, um, what his role is with the team next year. I think I've been higher on him still than the most people. Like a lot of fans are like, Oh, he should, he'd be, a great guy to throw in his, his salary filler for a trade. And I'm like, well, it's not that simple. You know, they signed him 
to the full MLE a couple of years ago. And he was probably their biggest free agent signing in five or six years. And that means something like, you know, an organization is not just going to sell off on those guys right away. But point being, okay, under a new coach, under Rick Carlisle, who presumably is going to get more out of everyone on the team, because that's something he did well in Dallas. Like he's a guy I would like, I would understand if they, they parted ways with him in a trade this off season to try and free up money elsewhere. But um, he's somebody I'd, I would love to see if he can have a bounce back season with Rick Carlisle, because he does bring a lot of value to the team if he's healthy. And like, if he's fully healthy, I think he's on a good contract. Um, But it's just actually seeing whether or not that plays out because if the defense is at the same level, it was last year, like I, it's hard to see him getting a lot of playing time. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, Doug McDermott, uh, the next player on the list. um, He's a guy, I used to do a little bit of bulls coverage. Um, and it seems he's a guy who's actually played some of his best ball for the Pacers. Um, unfortunately, that means with him being a free agent that um, the Pacers probably got criticized for that deal when he first signed it. Funny how the NBA works. And then he played well on that deal. He actually ended up being a bit of a bargain because you know, anytime you can get mm-hmm. a shooter like that's on seven and a half million or whatever it was. I mean, I know the guy's not a, I'm not a great defender, but at the end of the day, um if if you're able to shoot it like like he's a like he's a pretty good shooter um then you're going to have a home somewhere what what do you think his deal his next deal will be um and will will the Pacers use his bird rights to bring him back and what are your thoughts on McDermott overall yeah so I uh not to take over but I want to intertwine this a little bit with TJ McConnell because they're kind of they're at an interesting crossroads, uh, the two of them, yeah. this summer because the Pacers can really only afford to pay one of them. They're not going to go over the luxury tax to sign both. Yeah. Um, so unless there's some real finagling with the roster and they try to sign both, I don't think it's going to happen. Mm. Um, it's interesting because with Doug, I mean, he had his, his, the best season of his pro career easily. Like, yeah. um, It was odd because he had some real shooting struggles early on in the year. Like he was shooting below league average from three, which is very unlike Doug McDermott, but he he righted the ship as the year went on. But um, it was really special to see him add a part to his game that we hadn't seen. Like he added a real dribble drive game. Um, so like if he got ran off the line, he took the ball to the rim. And I th- want to say he was actually the best rim finisher on the team this year. It was either him or Miles. I can't remember off the top of my head, but point being yeah. like shot like 68 or 69% at the rim wow. this year. Um which is really good. I mean, he yeah. punched home some really nice dunks. Um, so he just reached an entirely new level as a uh, as a as a play finisher that we hadn't seen before. Like he went from somebody who you know you could you could rely on him to hit or at least take movement threes, hit an open catch and shoot. Um, but adding that aspect to his game this year was huge. Um, like yeah. they really missed him when he missed time. Uh, overall, I just thought he had a fantastic year. And that's what makes things murky because he played himself into a very big deal yeah. this offseason. Um, so I, I wrote a piece on this last week and like looking at last year's MLE guys, like guys who got the full MLE, it was Jay Crowder and Derek Favors. Yeah. And I think Doug would probably get paid more than either of those guys right now just because yeah. movement shooting is just about the most valuable skill in the NBA outside of playmaking um, and ball handling. So like, I mean, Joe Harris got paid seventeen and a half million uh, for four years. I don't think he's going to get that because Joe Harris is Joe Harris is at least like a neutral to sometimes okay defender, yeah. um, and he does a little bit more uh, with the ball in his hands. But 
I do think he'll end up getting more than the MLE, probably a little bit closer to being down towards, you know, like the $10 million mark. So like maybe like, a, I think he'll probably get like, I'd say like 12 for three or something like that. Yeah. Um, I don't have like any full range. You know, some team could really be like, hey, we're just going to pay Doug McDermott $45 million for three years yeah. um, and go all in on him. Uh, but like, honestly, if I'm the Pacers, it's, it's just a lot of, okay, well, I mean, looking at TJ McConnell too, he had his best year as a pro last year, but then a lot of it too is, well, a lot of the, like, well, a lot of the players struggled in the new system. Like the new system was perfect for TJ McConnell. Like he was pressuring guys 94 feet. Um, He he recorded, it felt like more baseline steals and inbound steals in, in one season than uh, anybody has in a career. It was, it was wild. Um, and he did a ton of stuff. Like he shot, I think, 59% from short mid mm. uh, per clean the glass, which is like the 99th percentile. And he took a lot of those. Well, wow. I mean, they were, he was often in the closing lineups. He was kind of the go-to guy at times as the shot clock wound down. Um, and he was just really good this year. But at the same time, I wonder, okay, well, what does that look like under a new coach running new schemes that aren't necessarily tailored to what you're doing? Um, yeah. So – I think in some ways it would be a lot harder to replace Doug. It would be very difficult to replace replace TJ either, but um, it's a very interesting thing to see how the Pacers are going to attack this this offseason because uh, both players were very significant to what they did last year. And um, I just, I'm genuinely curious how they're going to approach things moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. And yeah, TJ was the next one we were going to talk about. Uh, he was on JJ Riddick's podcast. I think I, I'm a bit behind on them, but I listened about a week or two ago. Just a great dude. And the way he talked about defense, like I love I love those podcasts because JJ gets dudes on and they like get into the weeds and talk about like, you know, this guy's a great defender. And I and they, they actually talk about real complex sort of about the reads and it, it was really great. And just to hear a bit more around TJ was really fascinating. Um, and I didn't realize he was only on a three and a half million dollar deal. Um, you know, he... He's probably played himself into into something a bit bigger, but it's tough because, like, if I was running the paces, if I was the owner, like, look, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go into the tax either. You know that the, the the team isn't at the level I think where where you, if you were a perennial playoff contender, then maybe look, you look to go into the tax. But I totally understand that. Um, Justin Holiday, another like, I feel like Justin Holiday was probably considered a journeyman a couple of years ago. Whereas now I'd look at him and say he's moved into like decent rotation wing on a good team, you know, like he, he does a few things well and, and he's not, he's not uber efficient in, in terms of, in terms of a scoring. Um, but you know, he's big, he's able to, to guard a few different positions um, and he can score at a decent enough rate. Yeah. Um, so he's interesting too, because he's another guy who really faded as the year went on. And that's less about him and more about like, he was another guy completely overtaxed, like, yeah. uh, within the first 30 games as they really struggled to, to find their way without TJ, like he was playing like 36, 37 minutes per game. And it was crazy. Yeah. Like I, uh, I actually caught some flack from it from fans because I, I swear to God, after every single game, I complained about like, I mean, Malcolm, Domas, and, and Justin were all playing close to 40 minutes for like uh, an 11 or 12 game stretch. It was ridiculous wow. that early in the year. It just made no sense. Yeah. And you could see it like it. I mean, they went from I think they were the best third quarter net rating team for like the first 20 games in the season. 
but they had like a negative seven net rating and just completely would fall off because of, you know, how much they're being asked to do in the third quarter. Like mm. they would play, um, I think Domas would play the entire third quarter. Like him and Malcolm would end up playing like 22 minutes of the final 24. It's just wow. like, it was, it was the, the way that the rotation worked out wasn't great. Yeah. Um, and like, again, with Justin was being asked to guard the best player on the other team because, uh, because of TJ being out. Um, and that was a lot for him because then he's being asked, all right, well, we need you to hit movement threes and, and do that. Um, he, he was just, I mean, there were a lot of players who were asked to do a lot, but in terms of the role players on the team, he was asked to do an insane amount. Yeah. Um, so, I, well, I think numbers wise, he had a down year. Um, it's just really difficult because he was put in a really unideal role as a lot of guys on the roster were, but I still think he's, uh, he's really put himself in a, in a upper echelon of role players in the NBA. Like as a seventh man, I think he's fantastic. Like he can spot start for you. Uh, his ability to, to really take and make threes the way that the, with the prolific prolific way that he has found over the last few years has been just awesome to see. Like he shot, uh, I mean, his three-point attempt rate was almost 73% last year. Um, so that's the majority of his shots. He's not a guy who's putting the ball in the deck a lot. Um, but, I, I mean, I've been really impressed with him because he went from two years ago uh, in, in leading into 1920. He was the last guy signed to the roster on a vet min. Yes. And then he ended up parlaying that into the majority of the the mid-level exception next year, uh, the, the next year, and got his first multi-year deal yeah. um, at age 30. So. He's been he's been a really fun story to watch, um, and I think he'll play a, a significant part of the team next year too. Yeah, and he and he's deserving. Um, next next player is Goga Batazzi. Um, hopefully that the non indie fans, the only thing that they won't will remember is uh, hopefully people won't only remember the um, the, the scrap that went viral <laughs> um, between him and the coach. Yeah, that was fun. That was oh my god, that was that was that was not good for the um for the fan base but um what what what's been your take on gogo i haven't managed to watch a lot of him but what i saw of him in his rookie year um and the flashes that i see when they play the the blazers or when i get to watch a Pacers game is he he seems to have some some skill around him in terms of he's able to do a few different things um but i've i've haven't seemed to see him play a significant enough role for to, to know what he's going to be moving forward in the NBA. Yeah. So I've been, uh, I really like Goga. I think he's flashed a lot of skills that, that lead you to believe that he could be a starter in the NBA. Um, it's been frustrating though, because like when the pick happened, um, and this was in 2019, the 2019 offseason, he gets, he gets uh, selected. Uh, it was just really frustrating because they had Miles and Domas um, already there. So in terms of the way that you have your team set up, like, all right, how are we playing three centers when two of them are demanding a starter level minutes? Yeah. Um, and we already have issues of trying to play them together. Uh, and then you bring in Goga, who is a 19-year-old uh, who has never played in the States. He had issues with his visa, so he ended up missing out on Summer League. Um and of course, he missed out on summer league again because summer league did not happen this past year. Um, he showed real flashes this year when he got moments. Uh, like he didn't even play the first, I think, eleven or twelve games of the year, which was ridiculous. Um, if you can't tell, I was very, I, I got very opinionated and heated on how some things went this year because it was that kind of year. But it. um, it's just tough for him because 
He's a guy who hasn't even played a thousand minutes in his NBA career through two years. And that's disappointing. Like if you draft somebody in the top 20 in the NBA draft, you have to find ways to get them real meaningful minutes right away. And that's just been the problem for Goga. Like uh, the consistency and the ability to play through his mistakes has not been there because uh, I mean, coaches are in and they're there to, to, to continue coaching the next year. Like it's their job. Um, so playing Goga is not always ideal for that. And it like, he, he really did improve a lot this year, especially, you know, his mobility was a little bit better. Uh, he actually set screens this year. Like he would set screens, but be like, you know, he, he almost rarely made contacts with screens his rookie year. He really improved as a screen setter this year. He was, um, finally started hitting some threes, uh, as the year went on, which was cool to see. Cause that was a big thing for him. Like he's probably the best shooter of the three bigs, but it just hasn't always fallen. And that was a big staple of his game when he was, uh, you know, playing in the Euro league. Um, the rim protection really grew from him. He still has a lot to figure out and, and pick and roll. Um, but overall, like he, he, he did show a lot of growth this year, but again, it's another thing where it's like, okay, well he could have played probably six or 700 more minutes this year. If you have a real, um, concerted effort to make that happen. And, and you, you know, you, you, maybe you do move either miles or Domas, or you just have a way where it makes more sense to make that happen. But, um, yeah, I was impressed with him this year. And I'm just really curious to see uh, what happens with the three bigs next year, because I don't think that it is a, uh, a tenable situation for, for too much longer. Uh, just because at the end of the day, you need to find ways to, to make the most out of your roster. And if, you know, like at the end of like, you have to find a way to get Goga more playing time. And I'm just not sure how that's happening yet. So, yeah, agreed. And and I think that was the problem was that you, I, I don't know unless you're unless it's DeAndre Ayton, you know, a similar player. I'm not sure about using lottery picks on bigs unless they're someone who's a real game changer, especially when you already have those two bigs there. So um, to not be able to invest in him and you know he's coming up on um, you know, a few years in the league now, it'll be interesting, interesting to see what they do moving forward. Um, Aaron Holiday, um, the you know the third of the of the Holiday brothers. Um, played a bit of combo and then it seems so cleaning the glass says that he played, he was classified as a wing in the last year. Obviously the way and it's awesome. The way you've described it on the podcast, the way that a lot of guys were played in the previous season is probably not going to be exactly the same moving forward. Um, what, what do you see Aaron's role in the team and, and how, how have you felt about his play um, on the paces uh, as an overall uh, it is really tough with Aaron. Like, I don't entirely know what his role is going to be moving forward. And I don't know if he's going to be on the team moving forward. Um, yeah. like he's a guy who I think if they do engage in a trade, he's going to be part of that. Um, this last year was just rough for him. Like he went from, uh, he was one of the guys who really performed well in the bubble. Like he wasn't running much more offense, but just, he f seemed to really find himself. Like he got more comfortable going to the rim. Uh, he was taking and making the three with real confidence um, and just overall looked better. And he was put in really good sp spots as well to, to make things happen. Uh, but then we saw this year, like he out of anybody, I think had the most, uh, the most issue with dealing with a new role because he was asked to do a new role seemingly every week. Like he'd have moments where he wasn't in the rotation and then he'd have moments where he's starting. So like when TJ goes out, they elevated him to the starting lineup immediately. And instead of being a guy who's being asked to, to run some of the offense, 
he's being asked strictly, okay, catch and shoot or catch and drive um, and play defense. But like at, at the same time, he was being asked to guard like Mikhail Bridges and like wings on the other team. And it's just things like that, that, that don't really make sense. Like, yeah. you know, it just, it did clearly, I mean, Aaron's six foot one on a good day and asking him to guard guys who are six, six or six, seven is like, you know, you're just asking for buckets to be scored. So in some ways, you know, it, he really just couldn't find a rhythm this year. Uh, and that, that showed he, he, he had stretches where he came on as the year went down, but ultimately was mostly out of the rotation uh, by the time the year ended and they got to the playing game. Uh, I just don't really know what to think of him now. Like they went from, you know, the two years ago, he was a guy who was talked about in trade rumors a lot. Like there was, I think it was Kevin O'Connor had it in, in 2019. Like um, the, uh, uh, I think it was either the Knicks or the Wolves. Like I th- actually, I think both of them were like looking at Aaron. They were, they were both willing to part with like a first round pick and the Pacers ended up not trading him. So that makes me think he'll maybe get another opportunity this year. Cause this will be his fourth year, the end of his, his rookie deal. Um, but I'm just not entirely sure what's going to happen with him. Like, there's still just a lot of question marks. Like, if TJ McConnell is back and he's the the backup guard, then that leaves Aaron in another tight spot because he's the third guard. He's not getting real consistent minutes. If injuries happen, he'll have more minutes. But it's uh, just just a lot of question marks. And I think this this leads me to an overall theme, like like we've hit on. Yeah, there are a lot of very good players on this roster. The good players on this roster, but like. There's almost too many guys. Like you cannot play, you cannot play all of these guys. And and while depth is a good thing, you have to find a way to to consolidate the roster down and get as the most you can out of your roster. Because right now, like I mean, you can look at it and say, and there are guys we're going to get to still, but like there's you know one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, uh, thirteen, fourteen. I mean, there's like thirteen or fourteen guys who you could say are real rotation players on the team. Yeah. And as you know. You cannot play 13 or 14 guys a night. That's just, it's not a thing. You actually legally cannot play 14 guys a night, but you know, it's uh, so it's a lot of trying to figure that out is, is what I think really needs to happen this summer. Um, But I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how that's going to go, especially too. I mean, they're adding a first round pick now. Um, Granted guys could leave in free agency, but there's some kind of move has to happen for consolidation. Yeah. Agreed. So I, I went to basketball reference and I pulled up the minutes played. And eleven guys played twenty-one minutes or more. I don't think I've, I don't think any other team in the NBA would have, would have that type of that type of setup. Um, we'll run through the, the those those last few guys because I'll be interested to see the guys that I basically know nothing about and what's your what your thoughts are. Um, O'Shea Brissett it actually played twenty-four minutes a game, and I do remember a couple of games. Um, that he played that like he got a little bit of buzz on, on NBA Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. how, how, how this guy end up playing, playing 24 minutes a game. And it looks like he was a bit of a shooter as well. Yeah. So it's kind of wild because he was, uh, he was essentially Miles's replacement. Like miles went down uh, in early April or, or, or March. I can't remember off the top of my head, but they signed him out of Fort Wayne because he played for the Mad Ants this year after being cut by the nine Oh five up in Toronto played really well for Fort Wayne uh, in the G League bubble. And then they he got called up and he went from like, everybody's like, okay, well, is he going to get minutes? He really, I think he played 30 minutes altogether in his first like 10 games with the team, DNP'd a bunch of them. And then Miles goes down and they're like, okay, you're starting now. Um, and he started the final 16 games of the year, put up, wow. you know, uh, 
thir- 13 points, seven boards on 47, 42, 76 splits. Um, it was really like part of it was a little bit frustrating because it's like, all right, you had this guy like it. There were opportunities where they could have signed anybody to come in and try and play as a three, four. Luckily, it was O'Shea and it worked out for him. I just am not sure what to make of his run because like he shot really freaking well, like shooting 42 percent on five threes per game is awesome. Most of them were wide open. Um, and that that like begs the question, like he never shot above league average in the G League uh, this year or prior. He never shot above league average from three when he played at Syracuse. Mm. Um, and he's just never been a good shooter before. But then you have this massive explosion. It's like, okay, well, that's the guy who maybe solves some of our problems. Like, I don't think he's a starter long term. I really think he's more of like your first forward off the bench, still an awesome fit, like awesome uh, to have. Like he really solved a lot of things defensively for the team that they missed uh, when, when miles was out. But at the same time, you wanted to, you wish you could have seen him play with miles. Cause we didn't see a lot of that this year. Um, so I think he's a really interesting rotation piece moving forward. And, and important to note too, like he just turned 23, like he is, he's a young player. Yeah. Um, so it was really awesome to see them kind of hit on a guy who came out of their developmental system, uh, even though it was only for a year. It's still part of it. Um, but I I just like I said to people a lot this year is like just you need to calm down a little bit with where you're at. Because like a lot of yes. a lot of fans, of course, are like, oh, this guy is like he's our he's he's going to be like our, our third best player moving forward. I'm like, probably not. Like, you know, <laughs> you need to relax a little bit. I'm very interested to see how this next year goes for him. And I actually think in some ways, like there's going to be better opportunities for him uh, where he's not asked to do so much because like there was a stretch where he was averaging like two and a half blocks per game for like the first 10 or 11 games that he played Wow! because he was literally just being asked, like he was the entire line of defense for the team. Like he was the backline rotator on everything. Uh, and he was really damn good at it. Like he's good at making vertical contests. He can defend out on the perimeter. He's a good closeout defender. Um, but again, like just another guy who was like, he was asked to do so much and I'm not sure what to expect with him next year, but I'm excited for him for sure. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, he seems he seems like he could be a good piece. Um, Jakar Sampson, you know, I mean, he's a guy who spent a bit of time with the Bulls. Um, seems to be one of those perennial, um, you know, veteran minimum candidates. And you know what? Probably the team that, by the sounds of the, the way that this discussion has gone, that the Pacers need guys that can be veteran minimum candidates who can play between eight and sixteen minutes rather than having 10 guys that can play between 20 and 35 minutes, right? And Sampson can probably give decent production if, if he's on the Vitzman. Yeah, I'm I'm not really sure what's going to happen with him because his role really decreased this year. Um, part of it was like, you know, I mean, he went from when, when Domas got injured before the bubble. Uh, I mean, he started playing as the backup big, essentially, because they wouldn't play Goga for, you know, a lot of reasons. But um like, I mean, he looked good. He was solid, especially for a guy playing on the vet men. Like if he's your 10th or 11th man, like he's your third big, he's good. Um, excuse me. But uh, the problem this year was like, okay, O'Shea came in and those were a lot of his minutes and Goga was good enough where uh, he started getting some of those minutes. I am not sure that he's going to be back with the team next year just because of that. You know, like that's a, another part of the consolidation piece. Like he's good enough to play in the NBA and he's shown that over the last two years. And I, I think he's going to want to go to a situation where he can show showcase his talents a little bit more. Um, and I'm just not sure it's going to happen with the Pacers. 
Like the thing I was really hoping for this year from him was like maybe he would start, you know, taking and making corner threes. And I just don't know if it's going to happen now. Um, yeah. Like that would really open up a lot for him uh, in terms of actually being able to stick higher up in a rotation. Um, and unfortunately just wasn't there for him. But he had a good year um, for just given his role and what he was asked to do. Yeah, agreed. Does um, Edmund Sumner, Sumner is probably the next one there. Has some decent defensive stats. He's not a guy I've really seen any anything of, but the the, the I, I've seen him, you know, be mentioned as a defensive guy. Um, what has he brought to the team? Yeah, so this was uh, oddly enough, I, th- I want to say this was Ed's fourth year on the team, um, and he's somebody who I've I've always been high on as a guy who has a lot of potential. But just point being, like, he played fifty three games this year which was more than his first three years with the team combined. Um, and that was really the what was indicative for him. He really got opportunities this year, but also he was able to stay healthy. And that's been an issue for him throughout his career. Like he, Part of the reason he slipped in the draft uh, and was a second-round pick instead of a guy who should have gone first round, because he's probably the most athletic player on the team. Um, like He's just always struggled with health, especially when he was at Xavier and some of that became an issue in the NBA too, but he really figured it out. Um, he had a stretch where he got to start and he looked absolutely fantastic. Like, wow. I mean, he's putting up 11 points per game on two boards, two assists, which doesn't sound crazy, but like he was taking and making off the dribble threes, like shooting f- like about 40% from three. He wasn't taking a ton of them, but like he went from being a non-shooter to a guy who just really grew in terms of confidence. He started running some actions. His passing expanded a little bit. Like he was one of the him and O'Shea Brissett were two of the most encouraging signs this year. Like both those guys, even though it sucked because the team was doing really poorly, it was awesome to see two guys who were rather younger. Like I think Ed just turned 25. Um, both those guys really expanded their games and showed things that we just didn't see from them before. Um, like we'd always seen flashes of it with Ed, but he really calmed down as a ball handler and driver, and um he was effective defensively, uh, and just overall a really good player. Um and I'm excited for what he could do next year because I think that's a, that's a, another piece of the consolidation puzzle. Like, I want to keep seeing what flashes Edmund Sumner has uh, because they were very real this year. And I think there's an opportunity for him to build off those in, in the coming year. Um, and it's just going to depend on, you know, what the team's priorities are and, and, and how that factors into him getting those reps. Yeah, agreed. Does uh, there's, the last one we'll talk about, we won't touch on the two ways. Um have Ke- Keelan Martin was also on the roster as a guy I heard a, a little bit about at college. Um, and he has a non-guaranteed deal for 21, 22. Yeah, he's, um, he was somebody who I really wish had gotten more playing time this year. And it's interesting because he went from a guy who I thought would not have his deal picked up next year, because like you mentioned, it's not guaranteed. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I could very well see him not having his, his his deal guaranteed next year because he just was not a factor in the rotation. Um, but again, like he was a guy in the last like 10, 12 games, um, got thrown into the rotation and played really well. Like he he had his first real stretch. Like, yeah, I played 15 games uh, to close out the year, shot well from three. Um, the defense was there, which had been a struggle for him all year. But part of that was, again, it was a really tough defensive system and he just did not get a lot of opportunities. Um, and being able to like he was a guy who could he could catch and shoot he could catch and drive a little bit and self create. Uh, we saw him play like his highlight for the year was probably like he had uh, in a game against the Nets. He played 
absolutely fantastic defense on on Kevin Durant as a guy who's six foot five with like a decent wingspan, but still pretty small to defend him. But he played really well on him, which was like that was just the the first real game where it's like, hey, you know, Keelan's kind of doing things. Um, and that was a really nice sign to see. And and he's he just carried that on throughout the rest of the year. I'm still not sure that his deal is going to be picked up, but he really showed flashes of being a rotation player as the year went on. And I, I'm just curious of whether or not that'll you know continue with the new coach. And I think I lean more towards he will have his deal guaranteed because it's a pretty small deal. I think it's like right around the vet minimum. So you know, at 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 some point you're like, unless you're getting, you know for sure that you're getting somebody better. I don't know if you're going to cut him um, because he he showed flashes and and he's been around the team. But um, I don't know. It's still, things are still pretty up in the air for him. Yeah, agreed. And I, and I think I think that the, those type of players we talked about as we're finishing it up now, those type of players that you talked about at the end of the roster, they're more the ones that the team need to look to develop and try and get on multi-year minimums or sign someone to three years, nine million, um, and then maybe look to condense the roster down and be like, right, we're gonna we're gonna move off some of these. It seems like twos, threes, and fours. Um, we're gonna keep. We're gonna bundle them together we're going to bring back mcdermott and and bring back mcconnell because then we because we can have a proper shooter we can have a proper backup point guard but we're going to move two or three other guys and then bring the salary down and then now look to invest in those guys at the back of the roster because you can't that the team probably needs to decide before it gets really really expensive you know soon guys like and i know it's a little while away but soon guys like Miles Turner will need a new deal or other guys will need a new deal and you can't you can't pay all 11 guys you already talked about being that close to the tax so I think that that these in some ways are good problems to have because the the team still has some assets that that they can use to bring another guy back but that a consolidation trade would probably be the best way to to move forward yeah uh, thank you so much for for coming on in, Mark. Uh, really good. Chat. Awesome. Yeah. No, I appreciate you asking me, man. It was good to good to good to talk, and I uh, appreciate you having me on, man. Yeah. All good. Have a really good day, and we'll talk again soon.